Good morning. Feels a little bit like I'm uh, armoring up here, getting my weapons ready. I'd like to welcome everyone to worship this morning. Good to have you here. Um, if you're a guest, we're especially thankful that you showed up today. So many things and so many other things that could pull us into different directions and distractions. But this morning, uh, good to have you here. As we get started, let's have a prayer. We would ask you, Father, to bless our worship this morning. Let our hearts and our minds and our thoughts and our words, Father, focus on you and on your ways. May we love one another as you have loved us. In your Son, Jesus' name, amen. For those of you who are visiting, who are guests, not only is it good to have you here, but I am not the regular preacher. I am uh, Mike Duffield, and I serve here as an elder. And we have, uh, for the past several years, had an annual process where the first Sunday, closest to the new year, uh, I come up here and talk about what the church has been up to. Oh my. We're taking this pause, and here we are, 13 hours from a new year. But we want to look at some things that are going on. Uh, because we're at the end of the year, we do need to really... Oops, I need to turn this on first. Mike, much better. Oh, it's awake now. We do need to make sure that we wrap things up neatly. And what that means is we categorize and, and, we, and we give it a box to sit in, and then it goes somewhere. But that doesn't mean that it ends up in a warehouse somewhere far away forever. You see, we have done many things this last year. And I, I asked our office manager, Denise, to give me kind of a list of what took place. And here's what I got. Okay, 175 words describing the things that took place over this last year. This is just one year. Oh my, this is a lot of things. It was a very busy year, and it's a lot of things to look through. Now, it was also a year like many other years. There were good things and there were bad things. There was loss, and then we had people who still uh, have refused to come back after the pandemic took place. But it was also a year of a great deal of gain. This year, I think, is the most opportunities the eldership has had to sit and visit with new families, new people, wanting to identify with the church. This is a, there's been a lot. If you look around here, you'll notice that there are a lot of faces that we're not used to, that are new to us, that perhaps we haven't even reached out to yet. 
And yet this is the way things are going. There have been a lot of changes, a lot of things. Now, even if you take all the things that Denise sent me and put them into columns, it's still a lot of stuff, okay? We have been very busy as a congregation. And I've got three and a half pages of notes with details about all the things that took place. And the reality is this, that even if I were to go through all the details and all the notes and list all the names and talk to you about all the events and look back and say, this is what happened over the course of the year, the reality is that would just be the tip of the iceberg. This would be just those things that we see. This is just those things that might show up on your radar or that you participated in. The things that took place that I think are probably more important wouldn't show up in this list. You see, when I look at a list like this, I see people. I see people stepping up, sometimes doing things that they would not have thought of doing, sometimes taking chances at something to help someone else in a way that is not going to be seen by anybody. Sometimes what I see here are people really trusting in God and saying, I, I'm not good at X, but I'll try it. Why not? And all those things are below the surface because they don't show up in the lists. Oh, you know, you can look at this and you can say, yeah, boy, there were a lot of, lot of renovations in the building. That's great. There were a lot of opportunities that people had for Bible studies this year because we had Bible studies on Wednesdays and we had Bible studies on Sunday mornings. And that's good. And that's great. And that's part of what we're supposed to do. But the reality is that my three pages of notes here that I am going through, <laughs> they don't detail the other things that took place. The things like prayer, fervent prayer in your home, fervent prayer with friends or family. They don't detail things like the times that we've been in anguish and pain because of some event that took place and how we've had to draw ourselves in and perhaps draw ourselves close to ourselves for a moment and not only feel that pain, but take that pain and try to do something with it, hopefully constructive. We don't see the times that someone got a phone call and someone was asking for help and they showed up. We don't see the times that someone's heart was broken and somebody was there to listen and somebody brought a scripture. The times that somebody was visited in a hospital. The times that somebody in their home was being being unable to take care of themselves and needing and asking for help. 
and someone showed up. All of those things don't make the list. But those are the things that the church is all about. The things that are below the surface. The things that are above the surface are wonderful. They are great expressions. They really help and they make us better. But what happens below the surface is because of everything that took place on the surface. So many things to think about. We have in the congregation uh, groups of people that go out and visit. I am always reluctant to name names because sometimes people don't want others to know what they're doing. But the reality is that is an incredible ministry in and of itself. And some people have been doing it for years. Some people have been doing it for just a few years. But that is the real work of the church, is taking that time and getting together. And as we look back at the year, we need to think about those things and pray for the people who do that. And pray for the people that receive the encouragement and the help from all of that. What we're seeing is people living their faith. That's what we're all about. If what you do is you come here and you listen and sing some songs and it doesn't penetrate below the surface, uh, that makes me sad. That there should be a motion that takes place inside God working in you in some way that makes you take an action that perhaps you've never taken before. It's humbling to me to realize what God does and how he does it. The things that we are given and the struggles that we have, the times that we see things falling apart remind me of passage out of Ephesians. Paul, so, so adept at writing what he writes. Paul, in the book of Ephesians, chapter 6, finishes off his letter with a reminder of how all those things, those conflicts, the difficulties, the struggles that we have, the problems that show up, that drag us down, that hurt us, that make us feel ill, all those problems have a source. And he says, starting in verse 12, chapter 6. We do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. If we acknowledge that, it makes the burden so much easier. But he doesn't finish there. <laughs> he goes on, therefore, Take up the whole armor of God. And that's how he finishes the letter. Reminding all of us that even though there are struggles and there are difficulties and there are times that are just going to be incredibly painful, that we have access 
to the weapons, if you will, that we need to get through those times. And this brings us up to passages I want to talk about today. There's always a connection between what we understand and what we do, or at least there should be. I'm hoping that's the way it works. In 1 Peter, we receive the letter that Peter writes to the churches as he's nearing the end of his time. And in this text, as he writes to the churches, he's addressing the Jews and the Gentiles who would have received this letter. And these are mostly churches of the Jewish dispersion, those that went out after persecutions. And this was written sometime around 60 before 60, before the big persecutions really started. But what he writes about is that they have a need to live out their faith. And they are going to have times of trial, and this is how they're going to deal with it. At the end of the letter, fourth chapter, he starts this way, starting in verse 7. And we'll read through the passage, and then we'll go back and talk about it a little bit. And one of the things that drew me to this passage is this very first phrase. The end of all things is at hand. Oh my. Therefore be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly since love covers a multitude of sins. So show hospitality to one another without grumbling. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies, in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong the glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. So look, Peter is a realist in so many ways. The end of all things is at hand. This goes directly to the heart of expectation. What is it that you and I expect? What do we really honestly expect? Are we expecting Jesus to show up? At this time, they did. So many of the writers talk about the imminent return of Jesus. And it gave them a way to live, a way to live. Uh, they expected this to happen in their own lifetime. And as Peter writes this letter, he is writing first as an apostle, but he also tells us that he is writing in the letter itself as an elder serving in Rome. So he's coming with a vast experience and the advice that he gives to them is really, really precise. He talks about making sure you have the right things up front. And I like the way he words it. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Well, we know what self-control and sober-minded is, right? We know that it's all about uh, the idea that we keep everything ready and tight with us. And nothing gets stray 
or nothing is loose and gets knocked around. But that's not really what we're talking about here. Peter is bringing to us something else. Uh, Charles Spurgeon comments on this passage this way. He says, Do not get intoxicated with anything, neither with pride, nor with covetousness, nor with the cares of this world. Maintain your equilibrium, stand steadfast and firm, be ye therefore sober. So he takes it out of this realm of having to do anything with intoxication and more to do with your attitude, how you approach things. Don't let pride or those other things take over your life and take you in directions you don't need to go. And then he says this odd phrasing right at the very end of that passage. He says, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Well, what does that mean? Well, in the Greek, the word that's used for prayers is literally prosukas, the general word for prayer. So it's all kinds of prayers. It's not a specific kind of prayers. Um, Thomas Constable writes it like this. Love hides the sins of others from its own sight and not from God's sight. Hate does the opposite. It pries about in order to discover some sin or semblance of sin in a brother and then broadcasts it, even exaggerates it and gloats over it. So the idea here is that this is not a... Uh, this is not a, uh, the idea of being, uh, you know, I lost a slide here and I, I'm now I'm a little confused about that, but that's okay. Um, this is not the idea that our prayers are to be solely for ourselves, but the idea is that our prayers are to serve, to clarify us, to keep us heart and mind before God. Um, another thing that he says, uh, and it's not in the quote here, it says, proper prayer is not an opiate or an escape, but rather a function of clear vision and a seeking of even clearer vision from God. It is not only through clear communication with headquarters that a soldier can effectively stand guard. And the idea is that if we're really desiring to do God's will, we have to be in constant contact with him. All of our prayers need to be about asking God, what do you need us to be doing? And that should be the desire of our hearts. So what, is, what does Peter tell us next? He says, Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since it covers a multitude of sins. What's going on here? How does loving one another earnestly cover sin? Where is he going with this thought? Well, uh, let's think first about what it means to love one another earnestly. And then we have to ask a question. So loving one another earnestly shows up. Um, the idea there is that we love with 
strength, that we love uh, fully, completely with, with uh, what, is, what would be the other word? I've, I've lost it, unfortunately, and I didn't put it in my notes. The idea is that it's a very all-encompassing sort of love. And that's what we're supposed to see there. But the other thing is, how does love cover a multitude of sins? I thought, from my reading of Scripture, that if we have sins, we're supposed to confess them to one another, right? Uh, James writes in five, chapter 5, 19 of his uh, letter, he says, My brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. So that's talking about the person who does the bringing back, that those sins will be covered, right? Uh, John, when in 1 John, writes, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So we have this uh, odd phrasing here that somehow loving one another earnestly will cover our sins. Well, what, what are we talking about? We're going to go back to Charles Spurgeon because he explains it a little bit, and I think it's the most clear uh, understanding that we have. He says, it's not your own sins, but the sins of your friends, so that you will not see them. Where love is thin, faults are always thick. Wherever there is true love in the heart, we make many apologies and allowances for the weakness and the infirmities of our friends. Often, we cannot see the faults in them, and when we know they are there, we go backward like the godly sons of Noah and cover the nakedness upon which we will not think of looking. For charity shall cover a multitude of sins. Well, what does that mean? It means that as we work with the people that we work with, as we deal with each other in the church, as we talk to each other and acknowledge each other, we openly say, I will not hold this thing against you that I will rather cover you up and help you and ignore the, whatever that minor sin is that we think that we see. Don't misunderstand what I'm pointing out here. This doesn't compensate for the idea that we need to just love one another all the time fervently and completely and, and ignore sin. That's not the point. But we, we love each other enough to allow ourselves room to grow and to change. We recognize that there are things that are not directly tied to salvation and so we don't have to bring them up and point out people's faults and bring ourselves into a bad situation to begin with. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly since love covers a multitude of sins. The next thing he talks about has to do with this hospitality 
thing. We've heard about this. We know about this. We felt it missing during the pandemic. Hospitality was gone for a time. And we hurt because of it. But look at what he says. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. Now, this is something you may not understand, but when he's writing this letter, showing hospitality, being of Abraham, was not necessarily a healthy thing to do. At this time, if you were hospitable to a Christian, you could be persecuted. If someone found out that you let into your home somebody who was of Christ, there could be trouble. So Peter is really looking out and saying, put yourself in trouble sometimes because it's the right thing to do. Do that thing. Do that thing whether you want to or not. Be hospitable. Well, what's next? As each has received the gift Use it and serve one another as good stewards of God's very grace. First of all, Peter wants to make very clear that this is not optional. We have all received a gift from God. It is a gift that we are meant to use and to be using, and it may change over time. And we may find that the gift that we think we have isn't the gift that God has given to us. And so we may have to step out and discover what those gifts are and what they are and what they're supposed to be. Oh my. You know, uh, we're supposed to be using it. But does that mean that we come here to the building and use those gifts? No. Peter is always looking to the church as the group that gathers as well as the individuals that serve. The serving doesn't have a border in the sense that it's in a building and on a certain day. The serving continues all the time. And so these gifts that we're given, we're supposed to be using all the time. They're supposed to be part of who we are and part of our life. That's the great thing, I think, about trying to look back at the year gone by. As we try to look back, we can't see it all. There's so much going on that we can't see and discover all the things that took place. Oh my goodness. So what does he have to say? Well, Peter goes on to categorize the gifts that God offers in two ways. The gifts of speaking and the gift of serving. And he has things to say about both, okay? It's not just that you're going to get those gifts, but there's something else going on as well. Speaking and serving. What does he have to say about speaking? Well, it's it's not good. Not only are we supposed to use our gifts, not only are we good stewards of them, but whoever speaks... You have to speak as though you are speaking the oracles of God. What does that mean, the oracles of God? 
it means that we need to hew to the truth. That we need to pay attention. That what we say and what we offer, in a public way especially, but even in a private way, is scripture and of God. It is based in things that are truth. Now this is a hard thing for our culture today because many, many, many people want to have a truth that floats, that is one thing one day and one thing another. But Peter's not talking about that. Remember, if you're speaking to anybody, if you're speaking about things about speaking of things about God, make sure it's the truth. Make sure you're doing it the right way. That also has the other side of it. And I like the, uh, the other side of it. Uh, this guy, he's a great guy, Ralph Venning, said this, to maintain an opinion because it is thine is, and not because it is true, is to prefer thyself above the truth. Opinions we may view as facts, but in reality, they should be malleable. We should have an opinion based on what we think is a fact, but be willing to change it. If I speak to you fully about my opinion about things, and we all have them, we all have opinions, we nonetheless should be willing to say, maybe I'm not right and I need to change my opinion. If I'm going to speak publicly, if I'm going to speak to someone about God, let me speak the oracles of God, the truth, the scriptures, the foundational stuff. Because those things are not malleable. They are of God. What else did he have to say? He said... Whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies. Whenever I see the phrase there, I always hear the song, right? We serve because of God's strength working through us. We serve with his strength because it's stronger than our strength. God continues to work and to do things. And the thing that that Peter does here is very funny. He says, okay, I'm going to tell you how to speak. I'm going to tell you how to serve. And then remember something very important. Why are we doing this? In order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. If you don't have that in mind as you do the serving or the speaking, then what are you doing? And then he stops. And I like the, the, the stop, right? Peter says, To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. So be it. Perfect. Let's read this uh, in another version, if you will, with me right now. Because it, it makes things a little... It's different. It's a different translation. The end of the world is coming soon. The New Living Translation. Therefore... Be earnest and disciplined in your prayers. Most important of all, continue to show deep love for each other 
for love covers a multitude of sins. Cheerfully share your home with those who need a meal or a place to stay. God has given each of you a gift from his great variety of spiritual gifts. Use them well to serve one another. Do you have the gift of speaking? Then speak as though God himself were speaking through you. Do you have the gift of helping others? Do it with all the strength and energy that God supplies. Then everything you do will bring glory to God through Jesus Christ. All glory and power to him forever and ever. Amen. I like that. Makes things real clear. Well, we're preparing to go into a new year. And this is a real good opportunity to take a stronger step of faith. Just as Peter knows that in the audience that he's writing to, there will be trials, and there will be difficulties, there will be persecutions, troubles will follow people all the way until Christ comes again. He encourages them with words like these to persist in the faith. Focus on Jesus, pray fervently, love earnestly, be honest, diligently seek to know Jesus better. Look forward to his return. Help with those who are weak, be forgiving. Run the race to win. Deal with your struggles head on. That perhaps is one of the hardest things that we have to do. And I'd like to encourage you, as we kind of wrap things up here today, to be like a bison. What is he talking about? Be like a bison. This is from uh, the National Bison Association. While bison are similar to cattle in many ways, they also have some big differences. The way the two types of animals react to snowstorms is one of them. While cows, like most animals, will run away from an approaching snowstorm, bison turn into storms, meeting them head on. Bison do this instinctively, knowing that if they head into the storm, they can run through it effectively, reducing their exposure. Culturally, we are tuned, when we see trouble, to go the other way. As a Christian of faith, I think sometimes when we see trouble, we need to stop and ask ourselves, do I need to address this? Is this the right time to stop and address the issue or the concern or the trouble that lies ahead? Can we be like bison? You know, there are gonna be troubles. There are gonna be troubles in 2024. There are gonna be troubles that will come to us that we've 
not brought to light. There will be troubles in our lives. But if you live your faith and do it for the sake of your prayers, you will find that sometimes those troubles dealt with head-on can be reduced and made small. Will you offer a prayer with me as we close up? Rob, you can come up. Give us courage, Father. Thank you for bringing us to a new year and help us as we enter this new year. May we find strength in Jesus and stay focused on him. In his name, amen. So be it. You know, Peter tells us that everything in the world is about to be wrapped up. That's the attitude we should have. Well, we'd like to invite you, if you're willing, and if it's the right time, to be baptized if you're ready. We are. But you may have prayer needs. If you have concerns, I'd invite you to come forward as we stand and sing this song.